And here is the surprise singer of the national anthem, all-star forward Terry Cummings, who was an ordained minister, also has done a lot of gospel singing and has recorded an album. And here he is with the national anthem. He knew what he was going to be. Yeah. That was kind of given. 96-95 Kings, Cummings. He wasn't out there, you know, like, okay, well, I'm gonna hang out like this. None of that. He was focused on his game. For two for three. Cummings. Look at that banker. Thorpe. You know, Terry was a great big man in college as well as in the NBA. Terry Cummings has accomplished many accolades in his life. If we only acknowledge one of those accomplishments, it's limiting. He is limitless. And it was an extreme pleasure to get to know not only the former NBA Rookie of the Year and two-time NBA All-Star, Coach Tony and I got to know the minister and man of God behind the scenes. Today, we speak with Terry T.C. Cummings, a Chicago native who has continued to beat the odds and accomplish greatness then and now. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a Peer Lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by... Need help with wills, trusts, or protecting your LLC? Join Legal Shield today. Text the word LEGAL to 347-652-0243 for more information. And now, all the way from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Val The Voice Johnson. There was no arrogance. There was no, I'm, you know, I'm destined to leave here and go to the NBA. You know, I watched Terry play at DePaul. That's how far back I've seen him or known of him. Who better to learn how to play this game than Terry Cummings? Terry was the first person that uh, uh, I connected with. He was the reason I came to DePaul. wasn't just there as a student athlete. He was there to uh, do what he could do uh, in the ministry. He has given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ while he was young. And the onus is on that person to make sure that they let the light shine wherever they may be. He is God's man, there's no doubt about it. He is God's man and if you are around him just long enough, I promise you something is going to drop off. The calling on his life was very serious. He had really mentally um, cut that part off, did away with those memories. I didn't know exactly what was going on with Terry. I wasn't close to that situation. Obviously, these people loved and respected him. They did, and um, you know, maybe they still wonder, well, what happened? TC, hey, hey, that's got to be introduction, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
Ha. Welcome to Interlude T. Thanks for having me. There's nothing you can say. You know, I I am, you know, I'm real in my in my way. I'm shot to I get to where I need to be to do what I, I need to do, but I've never been comfortable hearing people talk about me. It is the most uncomfortable thing I think that happens in my world. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, you and you don't realize how many people, from kids to adults to whomever lives that you've actually touched. Um, you know, and that's the amazing part about it. You know, and and and, and this audience that we got tonight's live show. So we coming from you know coast to coast. You know, tell tell the people a little bit. You know, just about your upbringing in the city of Chicago, from one side of the city to the next, so they kind of get to know who you are. Yeah, I um one of 13. I've got uh, five above and seven underneath me uh, as far as siblings. And uh, we we grew up on the north side of Chicago, about six, seven blocks from uh, Cabrini Green. Um, and this is in the early days. Uh, we lived above a, uh, a store called Spotlight at the time. It's all condoed out now, but we thought it was a house because we didn't know no better. Um, but we would bunk bed in, and you know, uh, two or three to a bunk bed, and you know, you do the best you can with everything. And man, uh, we moved to uh, the south side of Chicago in '72, and uh, that's how I got to uh, Carver High School. Um, but it, you know, for me, that that it's been a natural progression growing up on the north side, learning, you know, one lifestyle, and then on the south side, it was something totally different. We were the first black family in that area where we lived in Roseland in 1972. We lived uh, on, on one side, there was a Jewish family, and on the other side, a biker gang lived. So we, we uh, yeah, I mean, you can't, that mean, you, you can't make that stuff up. It was really just like that. No. Hey, just like, just like the neighborhood, you can't make it up in the most diversified city. And then where you were at with Carver, right down the street, you had Washington High School, which is a whole nother ball game. Yeah, well, there's a, you know, there's a lot of things like I could tell you, Coach and uh, Val, that I, um, I don't have stories like a lot of the cats that went to the five star, the BC camps, and all those things that regulated talent uh, for players. I the only camp I went to was Athletes for Better Education with Forrest Harris. Um, exactly. So I, I was a sleeper or what they call a blue chip. Nobody really knew who I was, but the people in the city that knew knew the game and knew I was getting around the city, you know, playing at different, you know, BBR, Lower North, you know, which would, you know, be equal to uh, AAU now. You know, we traveled to these other places on the west side, south side, north side, and ball against them. And we would leave the, the city and, and go outside the state to find the best talent. At the times, you know, we played. I played with some cats I went to high school with. Um, we were the little brothers of the older brothers. The older brothers were the G man. We were jazz, the jazz back then. Yeah. And um, so we, we, you know, my 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 real legacy, uh, as much as college is uh, a big part of it in um, the pro game, is what um, I was able to do on the street level. You know, playing ball on the street level wasn't all about the razzmatized back then, even though everybody had it. You know, it was still about balling, you know, with some order to what your game was because you had to be able to take that game and put it into a structured environment and play your game. 
you know, exactly. you can have all yeah. of that other stuff, but you got to be able to put it in some order, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Now your brother Lee wasn't no joke either, though. I remember him. No, no, he was actually <laughs> he was actually a great player. Yeah, you know, he was a great player, and and I can tell you this that a lot of what I became was because um, I challenged him. He challenged me. You know, he he made it so I had a chip on my shoulder. By the time I got to my junior year in high school and got to the uh, collegiate level, I had a chip on my shoulder because I had an older brother that was beating the stew out of me every chance he got, literally, <laughs> until <laughs> until I started growing. Once I started growing, I'd always it been really strong. Yeah, it was over. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. It wasn't different. It was over. <laughs> uh, I, I grew from like 5'8 uh, to 6'4 over one summer. And when oh, I got back, I was staying with my grandparents in Hammond, Indiana. Okay. And when I got back to the city, I was head and shoulders over everybody, including Lee. And, um, oh, wow. and it wasn't just the hype. You know, if you could imagine a little kid with a Tasmanian type mindset and who won't quit, who won't give up, who will fight you even if you beat them down. Imagine that at five, eight, and then imagine it eight inches later, you know, right. and filling out, wow. you know. And uh, it was just a different thing. But my brother, uh, he and I had a conversation once because he he would have these moments where I think he would be a bit upset because I went, and I really feel in many ways I lived his life because it was never uh, my heart. To, to play the game. I played the game because he played it. And and right. I told him one in one of our conversations, I said, I think you just really don't get it. I said, because um, you're the reason why I played the game. You 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 drove me to this place. And fortunately for me, I was I've always been able to make get to a point where I would make my own choices. I did not follow people to follow them forever. I followed them till I got to where I knew where I was going. And then oh, wow. when I knew where I was going, you know, I made choices for myself. And I'm saying this at 62, but I was thinking this way at 16, right. you know, and, yeah. and it wasn't, and it wasn't necessarily a talk thing. I just knew I needed to go my direction. And one of the directions that you just went on a, in a, in a very early part of your career, early part of your life if I saw and read this correctly, that you became an ordained minister by age seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I'm assuming um, that I'm assuming Lee didn't. Uh, I'm assuming Lee didn't influence that at all. <laughs> well, you know, actually, actually, he did because he was the first one okay. in our immediate family that went into uh, ministry. He used to pull people off okay. the streets because he was a hard, hard-nosed kind of cat. He would pull them off the street, take them into the basement and share Jesus with them. And, you know, people were, you know, lives were being changed and things like that. But he didn't he didn't hang in there with it, you know, during that oh. time, because Lee Lee had a whole nother mindset for the streets and the girls. And shoot, I, I was a late bloomer and everything um, because yeah. I I learned real early that that you have to discipline yourself and focus on something long enough to be good at it and you it, and my mom said this to me and I never forgot it when I was leaving college to go pro she said to me she said Terry don't worry about your friends she said you go and do what you're supposed to do and be who you're supposed to be because when you come back they'll be right here and she ain't lying you know you you each one of us have to make that choice um, for greatness. Greatness is not something that you're just born with. It is an idea initially, 
But that greatness comes to life when you step out and throw your line in the water and say, okay, I want some of that too. And I'm, I'm going to do what it takes to be that, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yes, speaking 17. Ministry, speaking of that early ministry, you know, most of the time, especially in the Black family, you know, that is going to church every day of the week. You know what I mean? So, yeah, all eight, all eight of them. My mom used to send me to Alabama, and I was, I, and I said, "Hey, I got to Alabama, and every week we was in. I mean, Bible school, Sunday school, Wednesday, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, and we, and the only time we thought we was having fun was Sunday night at the skating rink, you know. Uh-huh. But if you didn't go to church, you weren't going to the skating rink. Don't even, don't even look toward that direction at all. So, what? looking at that for you, and. What a lot of people don't understand that's on the podcast, you we're talking about Roseland, which ended up being one of the roughest neighborhoods, and you were a little further south than that. You know, mm-hmm. there were some things that 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 kind of stood in the way of you on that ministry at first. You know, how difficult was it to fight off the lures and the temptations running with your brother? Because you know how that is when you're young, you want to go with your older brothers out and you got the stuff that's going on in the streets, you see the dead bodies, the guns, the drugs. How hard was that to fight off that at that situation and stay focused on where you knew you had to be? Well, for me, it wasn't that hard because ain't no nice way to say this. We grew into men quicker then than they do now. So things that we would experience back then, you know, by the time I was 17, 18 years old, I had been through the drug thing. I, you know, was carrying a gun and a knife. You know, I was drinking and smoking. And by the time I became a believer at 16, that was it for me. And one of the things that really mattered to me even before I made the change was I was tired of seeing my brothers die. You know, guys getting you know, a friend, really close friend, who was out, you know, they were shooting crap. Some, and the guy got a little upset at him because he lost and stabbed him with a pencil and he bled out in the streets. I was seven years old. Uh, separate situation, seven, eight years old when I saw my first man killed. So I was growing up at a rapid age and I was forced to make decisions and choices um, so that I could, I I didn't even think I'd live to be 30 years old. And when I looked at uh, the year 2000, um, when, when I was still a teenager, I was thinking that's the end of the world. You know, the year 2000 Mm -hmm. is the end of the world. So I know I'm not going to make it that, but I got to find a way to to live my life, you know, in this in this place, in this season so that I I can give a a really good account of it when the time comes, you know, uh, because and to say that I I was not afraid, it would be be lying because there were things happening. And in the streets, you all know, if you've been there, everything happens really quick. It ain't, it ain't even thought out. It just happens really quick. And before you know it, people are laying there. I, I've seen so much stuff that over the years I would share with the young people because they sometimes think that we we were not touched by these things, but we exactly. chose a different route and a different path after the fact. We got a question in the audience here from our moderator in Brooklyn, uh, Mr. Springer. He says, what are your thoughts on mentorship and how it has impacted your career? I had some great men in my life that were not always men of notoriety, uh, men who had great names or, or anything, but they were great fathers and great husbands. Uh, and, and they, um, they were the best, you know, uh, for me and for my, my generation of cats that grew up together. 
Horace Howard, who was the coach at Carver High School. Mm-hmm. Um, coach Howard. Yeah, and then um, of course, uh, Mr. Bailey, you all wouldn't know, but he, like I said, he he was a Muslim, and I make a point of this to say that he's a Muslim, but he was a great black man to me too, uh, because what he instilled in us as as ball players and as as young men was the the idea, the ideology that we could be more, we could do more, and he didn't have to press it. Or, or impress us to believe that we saw it in the way he handled us, you know, and how he was always there. We were all loading up in his El Dorado, the big, the old, big old one, and uh, loading up and, yeah, and riding, riding down the spot, dipping down into the west side, the north side, east side, just going to play the best ballers. Because really, um, and this may be a little off, but I can tell you that a large part of my competitiveness and my ability to be that dominant kind of mindset player came because of people like Mr. Bailey and Horace Howard and Teddy Thomas and, and uh, at Carver High School, uh, Miss Sales, who taught me public speech. She was the hardest teacher I ever had, and she ain't but about five feet tall. She was giving me right. fits. That's that, that, the toughest one. Um, but she she said something to me and, and a couple of the other teachers that uh, shifted my mindset about everything I was doing and it helped me to understand how important it was for me to be um, a man of genuine integrity and character and it was uh, that you are not going to go out and represent us being a dumb n-word and that right. was at a time when there was a lot of us who couldn't really speak you know we were stutterers or we used a lot of this and that and duh and instead of you know speaking proper English uh, which now more than ever, you you hear a lot of guys speak now. They didn't. We we didn't have as many speak as well in the seventies and eighties. Exactly. You know, and it's it speaks to the mentorship, uh, which was the question, um, and it speaks also to the leadership. You know, even oh, if they don't, if they don't know us, this whole platform exists because of men and women that went before them that laid down a strong. Where I used to love to see you excel, man. You got to tell this story. I never forget in the hot box, not the new gym, but the hot box over at Chicago State in the Pro Am tournament. You came down there, and I think this is—I don't know how old you had to probably be, probably late high school, getting ready to go in, maybe right as you got into pros. But Jordan was playing, so Jordan was playing. So you probably was your second, third year in the league. And uh-huh. Jordan was killing somebody. He did a 360, and everybody went nuts. And I think you talked to somebody on a timeout. And the next play, you put Mike on the wall, like boom. That's you know. And everybody's like, "Oh man, Terry put Mike on the ground." Man, what what was that like to be in that situation and knowing you got this rookie in Jordan? Everybody looked up at it, man, and you just wasn't beautiful, but you was there to play ball. I mean, I, I can only say it like this, Coach, as good or great as Mike was, because we wound up playing together about seven or eight years in the summer league on the Playboy team. Um, okay. As, as good as, as the Playboy he, team he was. Yeah. So, the, so the, as good as he was, playing street basketball, I ran into a lot of Michael Jordan. My brother yeah. was a smaller version of him. He didn't play defense like him. But if he decided he wanted to, he could shut people down, you know. But I, I played on 
the, you know, that Sandlot game with cats, a whole lot of cats people will never know their names, but it was some, some cats I played with uh, and played against. They tested me. And, 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 and in the end, that's that stuff, you know, that's a part of the game I think the young guys and young girls miss now because they don't play that. Like, I played all year round. And I played all year round just to make sure I kept myself, you know, tight enough so that when camp came up, it, would, it wouldn't take me half the year to get in shape, game shape. It took me about two to three weeks because I was playing and working out all year round. And uh, these cats, uh, I think somebody just threw a question up what about the difference uh, oh, uh, yeah, between. Was, yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the differences is that there are just too many things to occupy their minds. Now, we just didn't have all that. You know, we didn't have, you know, I did, I shot commercials and, 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 and did things like that and traveled around the world and did all that stuff, but it didn't affect my mindset. I knew what my job was. I knew where my money came from. And I knew that this was about taking care of my whole family, not just the wife and kids, but my mom and dad, you know, and, and to be on point and in position if the family ever came under attack and needed legal help or hospital help or something. Uh, th that is like, to me, one of the things I think is missing in our uh, young people as a whole is understanding how valuable or, or, or um, invaluable they are to the community. You know, when right. you when you make it, it's it's no wonder that everybody grabs a piece of you and claims you as their own because you're doing something they would love to be able to do, but you do it really well and get paid for it. And exactly. so you, you you learn to live your life accordingly. You know, it doesn't happen with everybody because, like, you know, some people just feel like they don't they don't want to be nobody's role model, and it doesn't really matter what you want. You're you're in a position where being a role model comes with the position. What you really the real the real decision to make. Well, the real decision to make is is whether how much integrity or character you're going to walk within, walk within it while you're doing it, you know? And, and Terry, I got a great question here from Eric, uh, who, who asked you, who is the toughest player you face at any level? Man, I, I, I get asked that a lot because, yeah. and, I, and I always answer it the same way. Now, Kevin McHale defended me probably better than anybody. It was long. And, and normally when we would play Boston, they put Parrish on me. I'd beat him going to the basket. McHale is back there. They put McHale on me. I'd beat him. And then Parrish was back there. But they were <laughs> always, you know, challenge. they challenged my, my in-between game, my low post game. So I'd just take them out on the floor and um, drive past them as often as I could. But Kevin McHale was the one that was the toughest as a defender. Uh, physically, he wasn't. It was just his length. Uh, and he had enough quickness to challenge me. But uh, physical strength, it was players uh, equal uh, to my strength, maybe stronger, maybe not. Um, Oakley, uh, Buck Williams, a cat named Mike Williams that played in the league for years. These, these are guys that could match me on certain levels, but I always thought that real players have an A, B, C, D, E game. They have an alphabet game. If you take away from me, um, because we're equal in strength, uh, my low post game, then I take you outside. If you're quick enough to move with me outside, then I, I my third, my C game is to beat you up and down the court and get easy baskets. 
early okay. offense. I make my living doing that. Um, in 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 my D game is is if you good at all of those those three things, I'm put you in a pick and roll and get some mismatches. <laughs> you know, so right. my my mindset is was always thinking, you know, I don't have to be stopped. I just have to keep expanding my mindset about how I can get my game going. Because I don't think you get on the pro level to score uh, almost 20,000 points um, just by being a jump shooter or a low post player. You have to um, always give yourself the advantage. You, you got to be, and the only way you can really do it, coach, is you have to be honest with yourself about who you're playing against. Uh, you're playing against certain players, you know that they're going to make you work harder than you need to work in that game. So you may have to concede a part of that game to let another part be exposed. You know, exactly. if I exactly. if I can't it's score, I gotta crash them boards. Yeah, if I can't exactly. if if I can't score, I gotta crash them boards. I gotta I gotta out hustle them from end to end to get easy buckets. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Interludes is now available on the Live 365 app under the Absolutely Focus Radio platform. We have partnered with Absolutely Focus Radio to give you more aspirational more informational and more motivational tips from our insightful interviews with today's top creatives and business professionals. Come be inspired by the platform Absolutely Focus Radio only on the Live 365 app. Check out our platform Interludes, a pure lighthouse production by downloading the Live 365 app today and search for Absolutely Focus Radio. Newsflash, Val The Voice Johnson is currently one of the lead moderators on the platform, The House of Creativity on Clubhouse. Val The Voice Johnson can be heard leading the THOC news team with Latino relationship and good news and entertainment news that you can use to peruse your daily life. Join us every Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern in the House of Creativity. Become a member of the House of Creativity on the Clubhouse app today. And now, back to our show. At 52 years old, played against Charlotte Hornet and So and Company. And Terry drops, I think, I think you was, I think you, uh, you thought, what, 52 points? Mm-hmm. At that time, double-double, 11 rebounds, uh, some assists, and gave them the business. And that was later on in your career when you dropped that 52. I think you'd probably about in your, what, 37, 38, maybe? Well, the, um, I was still with the Spurs, so probably about 34, 35. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I got mad because that was during the time, unfortunately, Mike's dad, you know, gets to me what happened to, to Mr. Jordan. Mike steps away and come back, and then... You know, we, we come off that 72 game winning streak with the Bulls, and then we have a gap, and then Mike comes back. We had two options we had you, and we had Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. And the Bulls yeah. chose Dennis Rodman instead mm-hmm. of bringing you to Chicago to bring you back home. There's a story about that. Yeah, there's a story. There has to be a story about that. Well, see, they, they, called, they called me, their GM called me. And told me they were interested in having me come there, and um, and I was I was kind of juiced. But then they started asking me a bunch of questions about Dennis because we had just played together for two years in San Antonio, and so right. uh, we were both coming from San Antonio, and um, so I said to them after they asked me a few questions, I said, "Oh, so you you're not really interested in me? You want Dennis?" I said, "I'll give you all the information you need on me." He said, "No, we want both of you." I said, "That can't be possible." 
I said, because I'm not babysitting him. I saw what, what, what went down with him in San Antonio. I said, I can still play. I'm not an old dude. And I said, and right. I choose not to. And, and he said to me, he said, don't, don't you want to come through here? And you can get a ring with Mike. I said, yeah. But I said, I ain't, they, ain't nobody ever gave me nothing. I said, I've worked for everything I've gotten in my whole life. And I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like everybody else and get in the line and get a ring and then move out. You know, if I were to come to Chicago, I'm coming to Chicago. I'm coming home. And I don't, I don't, you know, you know, I ain't going, I'm not going to be bought like that, you know, and, and, and I take that stance for myself because I have integrity in how I live and how I work and how I earn what I get. And I don't owe nobody none but loving them. You know, I ain't I ain't tripping on on the guys that went and did it, but that ain't my mo. So that's right. the reason why I didn't wind up. It wasn't them per se, but I didn't like mm-hmm. the way they came at me. Like that's you know, that's what everybody wants is they want the ring, and I want the ring, but I want to mm-hmm. play and earn it. Right. And and here's the here's the thing I because I always hear about players that are from if they're from a city that they 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 grew up in, and I'm I'm always wondering. You know, wasn't if they had come to you in a different way, would you have ended up in Chicago? Like if they had come straight up and said, no, we're just interested and we want you. We don't care about Rodman because there's a part of me. I don't know about you, coach. I didn't want Rodman in with me because he was a Detroit Piston. I didn't want him. I didn't want him. (laughs) But, 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 But we caught the crazy Robin that Terry played with that would take his damn shoes off sit on the bench and start pouting because he didn't want to play in San Antonio and then jump on the floor. So they got to the point they were frustrated with him. So either he had to go or he was going to be out to leave. It was, it, that was, a you know, playing with Dennis. Dennis is a, is is not a bad guy. Let me That's say that. He, you know, he he's a good guy. He just, I mean, I, I went through some things with him. So I already knew I wasn't going the next step. You know, right. so playing with him in San Antonio, uh, Dennis did what he wanted, when he wanted, and how he wanted. You know, he he even when he was uh, dating Madonna, he would bring Madonna in there while we were getting undressed, and we didn't even know it till one day I noticed it looked like a little guy over in the corner all huddled up, what? and I look over there and, it, and it's Madonna. I told him, y'all need to get her out of here. This ain't this ain't for her. You know, Joker's walking around butt naked, and and they know, and they don't care. Right. But that ain't, yeah. that ain't a good look for us, you know. No, but it, it tells you too, because during the two years I was playing with him, I don't think we had coaches that managed them. I think Phil Jackson and Mike you know, managed them better. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, in San Antonio, um, we had a meeting one day about him, and all the guys that complained about him didn't say one word. And so I looked at him. I said, "You see him." I said, uh, this ain't his team. We we don't have to play with him. He has to play with us. But until you understand that, we ain't going to be a team. You know, and so we wound up losing that year in the playoffs to Utah. But And I don't think we had the best coach. And I'm I'm not I'm not the one going to spit, you know, fire that was, on somebody. That was, that was Dylan Harris, right? Well, no. That was uh, John Lucas. And the oh, irony behind oh, that is, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, I the forgot about Coach Lucas. I totally forgot I, about Coach Lucas. I played with him in Milwaukee, yeah. and then I played for him in San Antonio. Yeah. And yeah. and I was at, at at the end. I thought of my career. He treated me like that, and I was like, 
I remember them telling us after we lost to Utah and his job was in jeopardy. They they have these meetings the first week back from those those trips when the season is over. And uh, mm-hmm. he, one of the coaches called me and said, well, Coach Luke wants you to come in on Monday. He wants to sit down and talk to you about uh, your role and everything for the next year. I said, you tell Luke such and such. such. <laughs> <laughs> You tell him this for me. We ain't got to put nothing out. I was different back then. I was going through a divorce <laughs> too, and I, I didn't think things through all the time. I just said yeah. what I felt. I got you. Yeah. Hey, whatever come off that tongue, that's what you gonna get hit with. You know what I'm he'll be he'll be waiting for me. <laughs> He's still waiting for me. <laughs> so I have to, I have to, say, I have to say this: throughout this entire time, you are still a minister. You're still uh-huh. walking in your Christian faith. Because I'm just thinking, you have seen some things that would test anyone's yeah. faith. <laughs> you played mm-hmm. with Rodman and could live to tell about it. Allow me to interrupt right here. We were extremely honored to have Terry Cummins visit our Interludes Extra Space. Remember earlier, I stated speaking only to the NBA accomplishments would severely limit the man of God Terry is. Since starting Interludes Extra Talk on Tuesdays, I, as well as Coach Tony, have interviewed many, many guests. But we have never experienced a guest wanting to pray to close out our visual podcast. Take a listen. I'm going to definitely be in touch with you. And I appreciate your time, you know, laying the truth out to our audience. And, man, we just appreciate you, man. No, I, I appreciate y'all having me on. And if y'all, I know it's time to go, but can I pray? I won't give you the uh the long Baptist version I order uh the longer <laughs> Pentecostal version. Hey, 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 man. He thought he thought he thought hitting them voices. I'm about to say, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I am I just, down for it. Let's go. Yeah. Father, I just want to thank you for this time of fellowship with my sister Val and, and, and my brother Tony and I pray God as you have invested so much into them to get them to this place and this point you've drawn them out of many places to be together on this platform I'm asking God that you would bless them and increase them and that you would give them the fondness for your spirit and your truth and that you would cause Lord God the the eventuality of the vision you've given to them to not only explode and expand, but to come to pass in this, their lifetime. And that you would cause Lord them to be not fortunate, but blessed in everything that they're lacking. I'm asking God that you would fulfill their needs. You would cause even the brokenness in their lives, Lord God, to be healed and mended so they can be whole and complete when they bring their message, whatever that message is. And I pray that whatever that message is, you are at the center of it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. To see and hear the entirety of our interview with Terry T.C. Cummings, please visit our Interludes YouTube channel. Next time on Interludes. A lot of times people do things and fail, so to speak, and then that's it. They just stop. Keep at it. You don't have to be professional. Uh, You don't have to be an an expert. But how you become an expert is you keep at it. Author, poet, and podcaster Terrence P. Elmore on the next Interludes. Interludes is now on the audio app Clubhouse. 
Come on and unleash the power of podcasting with me, your host, Val The Voice Johnson. We have invaluable podcasting tips and tricks that will help elevate your podcasting game. Join the vibrant Interludes Club community on Clubhouse today and connect with fellow podcasters and creatives who are shaping the future of audio content. Ready to take the next steps? Download the Clubhouse app and look for the Interludes House and become a part of the Interludes podcasting community. Your podcast journey deserves nothing less than the best and Interludes on Clubhouse is here to make it happen. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson. Produced by Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a Peer Lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by... Need help with wills, trust, or protecting your LLC? Join Legal Shield today. For more information regarding legal protection or to join our worldwide sales team, text the word LEGAL to 347-652-0243. Become a future sponsor or advertiser on our podcasting platform by visiting our website today. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join Interlude's Facebook group, visit the website linktree slash peerlightmedia. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash peerlightmedia. Media.